Hi, folks, and welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Michael Cox. As we announced in a mini episode last week, we have undergone some changes here. We now are formally affiliated with the International Association for the Study of the Commons, as well as the International Journal of the Commons. Our focus will remain largely the same, but we're also planning on offering new types of content to you all through these partnerships. For today's podcast, we have another regular long-form episode with an old friend and colleague of mine, Frank von Lerhoven. It's particularly appropriate for Frank to be our first in-common guest, as he is the editor-in-chief of the International Journal of the Commons, along with our last guest, Mike Schoon. Courtney, Stefan, and I spoke with Frank about his experiences as the editor of the journal. We also spoke about his earlier experiences working with the Food and Agricultural Organization, where he worked before pursuing a career in academia by working as a student of Lynn Ostrom's at Indiana University. A theme that came up throughout our conversation that I think is important for us all to reflect on is the gap between academia and people in the world who are trying to solve public and environmental problems. Thanks for joining us to talk about and to create the commons. Okay. Um, well, so Frank, we've known each other for what, like 13, 14 years. It's starting to kind of feel long in the tooth. Some of these relationships we met at Indiana. Yeah. And you were a student of Lynn Ostrom's. Uh, I was a student of Lynn Ostrom's and you were, I think a couple years ahead of me. And from my perspective, you kind of disappeared because you went off and got this job in this country you were from. Yeah. But I'm also aware that you've got this interesting history, uh, before coming to Indiana, that uh, I believe you worked for the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization, similar to Krister. Yeah, that's correct. Who, um, as a previous guest of the podcast as well, and also as a previous student of Lynn Ostrom, so there's, there's lots of connections here. So I'd actually love to hear about um, your time before Indiana and what led you to come to Indiana to get a PhD. Like what motivated you? Um, I'd love to hear a bit about your time at the FAO because I know... You know, you're doing this work in Bangladesh, you um, implement this transdisciplinary approach that we talk about in the commons field. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear a bit about your origin story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 uh, okay. So, so when graduating from my master's program, of course, I had read uh, Lynn Ostrom's Governing the Commons. I was in awe about, uh, about what it had to say, and I wanted to apply some of that thinking to my professional work, which happened to uh, to be firstly an FAO project in Senegal in West Africa, uh, an integrated land management project with a focus on forestry. Thereafter, I went working for the same organization at their regional headquarters in, uh, in Chile, in Santiago, their regional headquarters for Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, and I... I, I found the organization, FAO that is, a bit slow, a bit wasteful. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't fit in myself. I, I, so one, one anecdote that, that, that is worth sharing maybe is that uh, during the first days of my appointment in that forestry project in Senegal, I found my colleagues, my Senegalese counterparts, but also my Dutch colleagues who were also appointed to that same project, 
working uh, in the ditches of an irrigation uh, system where they were planting small eucalyptus trees. And I was wondering, why am I flown in to plant small eucalyptus trees in the ditch of an irrigation system? Isn't this something that people themselves should buy into and, and, and do themselves? Well, it turned out that uh, that, that was uh, being tried by the project. Uh, they were first trained to set up a nursery and to to grow sapling uh, eucalyptus trees, but they didn't show up for the work. And in the end, the project worrying about their evaluation numbers started doing that themselves. They started to run and to operate the, the nursery. And when it was time to go and plant the trees, which were to serve as windbreaks uh, to, uh, to stop uh, erosion and to increase uh, rice yields, uh, when it was time to go and plant those saplings, it was, of course, expected that uh, that the landowners themselves would show up and that they would help or at least take the lead in planting those trees. But again, they didn't show up. Nobody came. And in the end, again, the, the, the project people being afraid for their evaluation numbers, not meeting the objectives of, of planting this many kilometers worth of winter breaks. They stepped in, they stepped up, and they started uh, planting uh, trees. Uh, so, 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 and and the the drama was that uh, that a couple of weeks after having planted those trees, they got all eaten by uh, animals. There was uh, there was cattle passing by after the harvest of the of the of, of the rice uh, on their way to the to to the river but also an agreement between the rice farmers and the cattle owners to uh, to to have the cattle eating the, the the leftovers on the fields and on their way passing through the fields they also ate the the trees that was a complete disaster that was something that i saw what's going on am i going to spend my uh, my my professional years in, in 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 something like this i i got disillusioned and skeptical about uh, an organization as fao and that 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 didn't improve much. I saw a lot of these. Maybe through my biased perspective, I saw a lot of the because my first experience. This was my first experience, and it, mm. it, it didn't get any better. So maybe I stopped looking for good examples. But I, I got fed up. So when I was uh, working in, uh, in in Santiago in Chile, I came across indeed Christopher Anderson, whom you mentioned, who appeared on your show uh, also. And who who showed me a glimmer of hope, so to say, that with <laughs> so he had the skills and the vision of what you can do and how you can how you can contribute to the work of an organization like FAO through solid analysis, looking for 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 for, for reasons, understanding of, of why things work or don't work. And we did a big study where we uh, where we looked into decentralization efforts and its effect on uh, on the quality and form of uh, of, uh, of of local uh, environmental policies in Brazil, Mexico, and Peru, and in Chile, and I I thought to myself, yes, I want to be able to do that. Not only follow the lead of someone like Christer, but really be able to to set something up like this, to do a thorough analysis, understanding what works, what doesn't work, and make a real impact. Because I, I didn't feel I was able to make a real impact in in spite of my years within the organization and my background, I I, I felt a bit. Uh, Handicapped and, uh, and and so so that's when I decided to uh, to leave FAO behind and to uh, to 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 apply for the the, the program that Christer at the time was uh, was still engaged with working with Lynn Ostrom, knowing Lynn Ostrom, never thinking that I could 
come close to a person like that, whom I was in awe of at the time. Uh, uh, and uh, But she accepted my application and I found myself working with her for her for four years, graduating, getting my, my degree. But now I am kind of in a stretch and maybe I'm, 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 I'm ahead of myself. Maybe that's, that's a next question. But, but now I'm, I'm ambivalent about my role in academia also. I, I find myself writing and pumping out papers. And, but now I don't feel that I'm contributing to the solution of problems uh, either. So, so, so the ivory tower character of academia is not giving me the amount of uh, satisfaction that I was hoping for. So at the one hand, with my feet in the mud in Senegal or in, 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 in Chile, I was unhappy for the ways that I saw around me. And now with my head in the clouds of the ivory tower, I'm still not completely uh, mm. uh, satisfied with, 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 with my role in, in this all. I don't feel that I'm solving practical problems to a sufficient extent. And I see people around me that are similarly not contributing to the maximum extent to the solution of the kinds of urgent problems that we are now facing just because, because these problems are very urgent in my view. I think in my uh, lecture, I, I refer to hell being right around the corner. Mm. I mean, Frank, it sounds like a common denominator is productivism. So we're going from maximizing productivity in terms of trees planted, for example. And I, I, I can't help but observe that we haven't gotten away from that, right? There's, there was, I think, a Nature article recently about how what we really need to do is plant a trillion trees or something like that. And like Donald Trump got behind this. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a really, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's not really what I, what I, what I wanted to say with my, with my anecdote. It's not necessarily about, about uh, planting trees. It's okay. about an organization on the ground, a program, a project, not taking into account the things that are being produced in academia, the, the insights, the views, the visions, the work of Lynn Ostrom and, and, and every, everyone around her. So, so in, the, in the design of, of programs and projects that I saw being developed in FAO, I see maybe some glimmer of what I recognize as being part of, uh, of, of, uh, of Ostromite uh, academic work, but not much. Um, so, so, so this example was about planting trees, but but it was also about uh, zoning efforts and and and, uh, and and income generation activities that were that were being employed. Uh, there is this disconnect between uh, between academia and and and, uh, and 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 people generally trying to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, one quick follow up. I mean, I don't want to project, but I, I felt like I picked up on your observation that the landowners did, right? They didn't necessarily come in and say, okay, we're going to like take care of these trees. I mean, that's something I feel like we haven't gotten away from the idea that we have these technical solutions. And there, there is much more to that anecdote because it turned out in the end that uh, the landowners leased their land and it was far from certain that they'd be working on the same plot of land by the time that the eucalyptus trees were uh, harvestable. So the incentive was clear, but that's also something that is common knowledge amongst folks like us. So maybe I mean, one would have thought that all the clever minds that are gathered in uh, in FAO, and I'm exaggerating. So if there's someone in your audience who knows the working of FAO, who is working for FAO, if they feel insulted, I don't mean to insult them. I'm exaggerating for the sake of argument. 
but uh, but one would think that 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 precisely defining and determining uh, land ownership uh, uh, details would be among the very first thing to do when setting up a project like this. But apparently they didn't. And uh, and, and the, the, the incentive to collaborate was minimum because the, the, the farmers who are probably, uh, who, who appear to be smarter than the project uh, designers, they, they knew that they were not going to be able to benefit from the trees by the time it was uh, they were ready to be harvested. Hmm. So there is that, that that part of that that anecdote is is another example of of the disconnect between academia and uh, and, and 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 problem solving uh, programs projects on the ground. Um, it seems like Frank, what you what resonated to me with both of those examples was incentives. Does that um, does that ring true? I mean, it seems it seems interesting that both in Senegal in this um, on the ground context and also in academia, where you're taking these two different approaches you're running into this issue where the incentive seems to be misaligned with the actual impact. Yeah, yeah and, and ever since I got trained by Lynn Ostrom and the people around here, I'm, I'm, I'm also wired to think of a situation like this in terms of incentives. Yeah, that, 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 but, but, but I could equally, now in retrospective, I, I, I can also imagine an approach that is not necessarily approaching things institutionally, and 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 try to get the institutions right or align your activity with uh, with with the institutions in 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 play but yeah in so earlier i have i have uh, talked about the, the need or the the necessity or or to 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 work along transdisciplinary lines and to to just dialogue and talk with the people so what are your problems how can we solve this Will windbreaks help? Maybe should we plant uh, eucalyptus trees? <laughs> it, it sounds so simple, but that apparently didn't happen. There was there was a, a project design that was buzzing with all the buzzwords of the time: uh, gender and inclusive decision making and participation. It was parachuted into a reality without taking notice of uh, of, of of what people needed or what their incentives were. If that's the the, the framing that you want to use. Um, I, I think so. Retrospectively, looking back at that situation, that could have been totally avoided. I use this this example uh, in in my teaching with bachelors, and they are they are they are always very much surprised. Maybe it's also because of the way in which I tell it, but they they they, they always ask me. So why why didn't the project people talk with the farmers? That's the easiest first step to take. You know, as we go through, I don't know if this is unique to academia, but when we we come and we face a problem and it's different from the way that we imagined it to be, or it was the way that we were trained, uh, for example, the use of a particular method. And we realize, we come to the moment where you realize that it's not the way it is, that it's different, that the method you were trained is not perfect and there's a lot of flaws and using it in practice different, or the position that you applied for was not as good uh, when you get in and you start working for it, or the context or the, the image of the organization, or the image and the broader picture of the academic system. Once you get into it and you become there, it's not, you realize maybe it's not what you thought it was. And it, I think we have this tendency to then try to look towards the next thing. Okay, this is not the right method. I go find the next one, which will be better. And, or... I'll try to find a different job where I'll have a bigger impact to get to that more imagined reality of what I would like it to be. And it seems that you've had that 
point a few times, at least in this example, where you've come to that realization that what you imagine it would be is different. And what what do you do if you're not going to make the decision that you're going to run away from it? How how do you then dig in a little bit deeper? And what is the next step to thinking? You know, it, yeah. I think there's the personal reflection of it. It's like, how do I begin to accept that this is the way it is and it might never be perfect? But I want to move forward in it and try to find a way to exist within that system and perhaps make make some change within it. Um, yeah, I'm existing in all sorts of systems and now existing in the academic system. I did a lecture the other week about uh, how rotten that's it. Maybe now I come to, <laughs> wherever I am, I seem to be critical and maybe 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 that's just my nature. Right? Maybe I should uh, change that about myself. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, there is a bit of path dependency. I mean, there, and, and there is a, a bit of, uh, there is, there is a huge amount of lack of control in these matters. So when I got the chance to, uh, to, 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 to work for FAO, of course, I, uh, I embraced that opportunity, uh, <laughs> intimately. Yeah, that, that's, that's something that I wanted. I got to go to different countries and, and, and the salary was I think I've never earned so much uh, in my life. That was my starting uh, salary, mm -hmm. which is also something that I became quite critical about. Uh, the expat life with the expat perks uh, uh, that, 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 that tended to spoil me and my colleagues, living a life that was far beyond what my, uh, my peers were doing back home. <laughs> uh, so that, that, makes, that, that makes everything quite cozy and comfortable. Uh, so, and, 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 yeah, that kind of uh, renders everything you see and experience a bit opaque. You have to have some distance to look back at experiences and to realize what was that all about? Uh, me being flown in from the Netherlands, uh, earning uh, five to maybe ten times as much as my Senegalese counterparts and standing in a ditch of an irrigation system for weeks in a row to plant eucalyptus tree trees something must have gone wrong here and i at the time I, I i had an itch a feeling that this was wrong but it's only after a couple of years that i realized this was really really wrong something um so yeah there is there is not so much control that you have about uh, where you are and what you do maybe if you're talented and, uh, and 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 outstanding like like you guys are then then you can choose what you want to do but i i didn't have that uh, that luxury Mm -hmm. Stefan, I like your question. I think it's really pretty fundamental. We want when we want to change things, we can't change everything at once. And so the question becomes, how much do you accept and how much do you or what do you accept and what do you reject? And how do you make how do you reconcile all of that mm -hmm. into some kind of meaningful path forward? And I think that's a question we all have for our our own personal lives and as a society. So Frank, I'm interested in um, Getting back to your time at academia, which has been for a while now, during your talk that I saw for, it was World Commons Week, is that what it was ultimately called? Um, you mentioned, I can't avoid talking about this. You mentioned the H index and how you view it as problematic. Yeah. We've talked a fair about, uh, we've talked a fair bit on this show about the kind of unhelpful productivism of academia. Um, I've referred to it as the arms race of publications. Yep, the yep. baloney gets sliced very thinly, as Mike Schoon says, all that stuff. 
Yeah. So I'd love to hear your take uh, on that issue. And then, of course, we'll try to tease out from you what can be done about it. Yeah, this, this dovetails very nicely with my previous uh, answer to, to Stefan's question. Because not only, so at the time I thought, well, especially in retrospective, that the FAO environment that I was working in was was not doing it for me and it was wasteful, I thought, and, and, and it was not having the impact that it should have, namely solving problems, real problems in real situations for real people. And, and, and the horror of the age index is doing a bit of the same in, in the academic sphere that I'm living in right now. I, 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 so on a daily basis, I don't feel that I'm all of the time thinking of the people and the situations and their problems that I'm supposed to be solving. I'm thinking about the heuristic that the system, the man, has put in place to, uh, to, to, to assess my performance. And that has to do with uh, with uh, with the acquisition of uh, research grants, and and that is very uh, very uh, intimately tied with uh, with with your publication and uh, citations to your publication, the H index, and and that that and and then to come back to Courtney's question about incentives, I think this system is horribly sending out perverse incentives that has us focusing on things that are irrelevant. Uh, we are. We are developing strategies. And when I say we, I think it's difficult for us in academia to resist the temptation to give in to these incentives because that's what's, that's what's uh, 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 pushing us forwards in terms of career opportunities. And it's, it's, it's giving us more opportunities to be successful in, in grant application. And it's a, it's a circle that we, a trap that we cannot get out of. But if, so if the incentive is for us to publish more rather than better paper, there are ways to do that. And unconsciously or consciently, we, we are we are doing that. We we fi find ourselves gravitating towards topics that we know uh, uh, will result in publishable results. We, uh, we end up uh, forming teams of collaborators around us. That, uh, that 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 can help us forward in that matter we begin slicing thin baloney we are writing 10 papers on a topic that should have been covered in one single paper uh, so and, and that's the strategy that that helps us to publish more rather than better paper and there is also a set of strategies that that to certain extents can help us getting cited more often because number of publications number of citations is what goes into your age index so we, uh, we we team team up with uh, collaborators that uh, that are highly cited, that are highly productive, hoping that they will cite our works. We engage in reciprocal. Is that that's not how you pronounce that word? We engage in uh, in in citing your friends, hoping that your friends will cite you. Uh, cite your friends fest. I have seen it mentioned uh, called. Um, so, so we do all, and and, and this focus. This has us focusing on the wrong ball in the game. The ball is not publishing. The ball is contributing to building theory and to solving problems. And especially, uh, especially in, in these days, the, the, the solution of problems is something that is urgent. So back in the days in the 60s, you could, you could work on uh, community policing and use that as a stepping stone towards uh, development, the development of, uh, of, of uh, ideas about uh, polycentrism. Great. But uh, what is it, 50, 60 years later, 
we still find ourselves confronted with a militarized uh, police force that is brutally uh, murdering black people left and right. Uh, so community, uh, the, 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 so so all our thinking on on community policing hasn't helped us to solve a problem that obviously persists uh, to to this very day. So and 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 that is maybe a bad example because I'm not saying that people like Roger Parks and, and Lynn Ostrom were caving to the horror of the age index. Far from it. They are the the last people who worry about that. But just to to say that I for me, I don't think at the end of my life when I'm on my deathbed, I don't think that I'll be satisfied with the amount of uh, of, of help that I have offered to the people that require help. I don't think that that anyone has gotten any better from from the work that I'm doing, except for me and my family. I, I have a, a tenure position and I live in a nice house and my pension is, uh, I have nothing to worry about. Oh, this I, doesn't sound good. What? <laughs> that was terrific in, in a certain way. I'm laughing, but I'm crying inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Frank, another, uh, so to, to building on that, <clears throat> Could you talk a bit about your editorship at the International Journal of the Commons? Because that gives you a certain position to engage with these exact issues. Yeah. You know, I want I, I had hoped that you would ask me. So this is the, the bleak picture that you're uh, that you're that you're presenting us about academia. How, how can you solve that? Because that was a question that I got asked uh, when I was mm -hmm. doing that lecture. And at the time I was mumbling a little bit and I couldn't really come up with something. But I, I think, well. I think in 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 the in the Netherlands we have this uh, this tradition almost or this routine of uh, of slapping on uh, your name as a co-author to the papers of the of the PhD candidates that you are working with. It is kind of a given that uh, that through your supervision uh, you, you get a co-authorship in the in the published uh, uh, the papers that will be a part of their dissertation. I think that is. A perverse incentive. If you can do away with that, I think that would that, that would really help. I think because for me, I hardly do any uh, any 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 uh, any 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 direct research or data collection or analysis myself. My research is is mostly managerial. I have four or so PhD candidates that I work with. They do all the work. They go out to Bangladesh and they go out to the Dutch Antilles and they go out to India. They collect the data. They are the, the lead. And the incentive for me is to, 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 to apply for grants, uh, earn enough money that will buy me the next PhD candidate uh, who can then work for and with me for four years. And, and what's in it for me is to, to have this continuous flow of, uh, of co-authorships that, that come with that. And that drags me away from doing any original research myself. My, my I am my my full time uh, my full time uh, research consists of the supervision of PhD candidates that I work with. And if I so if the price of doing that wouldn't be a co-authorship, then I would start re, re rearranging my priorities completely differently. That's that's one little thing that I thought of. Uh, uh, as, as a solution to that uh, perverse incentivized uh, environment that I find myself in. There are more things, but this, 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 this requires uh, attention and, and addressing. Yeah, I would, I would follow up on that. I, I more or less entirely agree with, with that assessment and that that's an issue. But there's also this idea, I think, of 
that academia isn't is the economy of ideas and intellectual property is the cornerstone of of what becomes later the authorship and the, the flourishing of certain ideas or not and i think some might argue that well if, if you were the one who had the core idea and that's like kind of brewed and emerged out of your own thinking that you know other academic tasks are more mechanical like data analysis for example and in some cases collection of data and that which really what we value is this idea construction, the conceptualization, the design of projects. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, that that if you you should be rewarded to some extent for that. But I see that as a difficult problem. It, it's it's contradicting what you said before. Yeah, I hope you added in my uh, my my, my uh, specification of what I just said. I'm, I'm not saying that I don't deserve the second and third authorships that I have uh, because mm. indeed the, 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 the money that I use to pay these PhD uh, candidates was earned by me because of a brilliant uh, grant application that I uh, that I won in competition. So, so the 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 the, the core ideas are come from my head, and uh, and of course in, but 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 it it sets an incentive structure that is having me focusing on uh, on grant acquisition. Grant acquisition is uh, is facilitated by having publications in high impact journals with a lot of citations so i'm focusing kind of on the wrong things there is some but not a total overlap between publishing in good papers and uh, and 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 contributing to theory development uh, for scientific relevance and solving problems for societal relevance mm -hmm. yeah that's it's it's interesting as we see i think this trend towards team science that's one way of saying it that you see you know there's a lot of different it's Part of it, I think, is recognition of all the, th the different people who have contributed to a, a work yeah. and to try to validate even the, the more minor contributions, which maybe in the past weren't seen. And that's why I think in a lot of cases you see an addition of many different authors. Um, the, the downside of that, of course, is then slapping on people who maybe didn't contribute as much. Uh, but it seems the general trend is towards including folks who in the past might have been completely excluded. Uh, it would have been single author papers where now it's... I wouldn't say it's rare, but yeah. <laughs> at least in our field, there's very few single authored papers and there's much more of uh, this recognition of even people who contributed not, you know, pretty clear differences in how, in how much people contributed. But I think I still get the impression that there's a recognition of the first spot or the first two spots on an authored paper. And, yeah. and then you get the alphabetical game. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very glad that you bring this up, Stefan, and I'm I'm also glad that beforehand we decided that uh, this informal setting would invite us to be vulnerable, and maybe I should uh, revisit my earlier statement that this is the the way out of the perverse incentivized system that we are in. So, so yeah, yeah. So no. maybe so maybe we can agree that it's not uh, the ultimate solution to the problem, but there is a problem, and somebody needs to to solve it. I think it's a big problem because I think it just gets more confusing for me personally that, okay, what is the, what are the rules here? I mean, on one hand, we have the German, uh, the German rules, you have the, the different rules at different institutes and you have different national funding agencies might have their different rules and they all seem to be a little different. I've seen people posting good advice on Twitter for about it. And it, to me, it's all less clear. And in the, uh, I seem to default to rather than creating any conflicts, I would rather add someone on to foster a more collaborative relationship going forward. But maybe that's like, for me as a younger scholar, thinking about trying to build the networks going forward for exactly the perverse reasons maybe that you described before. <laughs> uh, that's what I think about. Well, this, 
It makes me think just hopping on that, Stefan, that um, Frank in your talk and um, I think it was the Ostrom lecture series, not the World Commons Week talk. Were you talking about the H index? Yes. I yes. appreciate so I appreciated your honesty there for early career scholars to say, hey, you still have to play this game, you know, and and you mentioned earlier the path dependency of a lot of these things, you know, and so at what point can you, like, I hear this in what you're saying, Stefan, at what point can you jump off that path and make the change? You know, is it when you're a journal editor, you know, that you're able to play around with these? Is it when you get tenure? And then at that point, are these habits already so well ingrained? Yeah. that it's hard to get off of that, you know? Yeah. There's this challenge of, like, for exactly what you're saying, Stefan, that, like, the incentive to build my network and have those co-authors on, like, to have my, um, you know, if as a PhD student, to have your advisor on is, is probably helpful for the student. Um, I mean, to some extent, you can think about it as a collective action problem, right? Like we're all incentivized to defect by contributing to the arms race. And so if you're if you cooperate, you're a sucker whose whose CV doesn't look good. Right. When it's being compared yeah. to all the other people who who did defect. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that intervention, uh, Courtney. It's true. So, so the, yeah, maybe it is an arms race and, 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 and you have to play the game. And my talk was meant to, to to tell people who didn't know that there is a game going on. At least that's how I see it. Of course, it's all a conceptualization. Maybe you shouldn't be so cynical as I am. I'm allowed to be cynical. I'm over 50. So that's about when you, you, you're allowed to, to be cynical. And you, of course, need to have still a positive uh, view on things. Um, <laughs> But, but 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 making a choice when to when to go against the grain are you you are shooting yourself in the foot you're not you're not having any leverage to land a tenure track job and um, you can you can you can you can you can yeah you can be genuine and 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 and, and, and conserve your integrity but that'll that'll get you nowhere Oh, this is this, so, this is a horrible talk. So first I bitch FAO and then academia and then myself. <laughs> For me, this was expected. This has been great. So, but actually, I have a I have my own cynical question that I want to ask you, which is something I've been struggling with. Like, how how much is the model benefiting PhD students? Like, I still remember being at Indiana University teaching a class of seventy kids. I was twenty four, so I was three years older than these quote unquote kids. I was getting paid five thousand dollars per class, so I was getting eleven thousand dollars a year to like help this degree factory. Yeah. You know, how much does the current model, because we view PhD students as input as opposed to valuing the output of their education a lot of the time. I mean, sometimes, honestly, on Twitter, sometimes I'll see a post, someone will be like, hey, there's like a this new PhD opportunity. And in my head, I'm like, it might be an opportunity. It depends how they're viewing you. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I had I had this uh, epiphany. Is that a word? I, I it is okay. The other day. So how do you say it in Dutch? Revelation. I I wouldn't even know. There's a revelation okay. or epiphany. So I was looking at my folder structure that I use to 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 organize and archive my stuff. And there is one folder that says uh, education, teaching, and the other says uh, research. And uh, and, and the PhD projects are in my research folder, not in the education folder. So I, I tend to see my PhD work, my work with PhDs as something that is that is that is associated with my research. Whereas, of course, I should see it as uh, as, as as education. I, I should, of course, see my supervisory role. 
advisory roles for PhD candidates is something that adds to their education rather than to my research agenda. I mean, I'm aware that this is kind of like sacred ground to be trotting on as academics ourselves, but I just, it's, I've struggled with it. I mean, and you've got the increasing, okay, now I don't know if this is an English word and I, I grew up speaking this, like glamorification of the That's PI. Right. Well now, right. So now it's a word, right? And so yep. we've got this idea and we've talked about this on the podcast before where we, everyone kind of wants to be an academic superstar. We've got individualization where everyone needs to have their own brand. And you'll see like, I'll go on some websites and you'll see the PI has like this nice shiny photo and then they have like 15 minions. Yeah. And I'm always, I'm, I always wonder like how, um, how much of this is for this one PI? Yeah. Cause like they're the character, they're like the hero. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Courtney was referring to my uh, talk during the, what the research series or something of the, of the workshop. And, uh, I think honesty is needed in the sense that, that many of these, these PhD candidates are not honestly told that it's going to be uh, that it's going to be a, a bloody war. That that many of them are not going to make it, and, and so so the, the 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 picture is created that they will all land beautiful tenure track jobs, but of course they don't. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, well, the other week we had uh, the Nobel prizes being uh, handed out, and in the Netherlands, at least in the media that I'm following, there was this, this discussion that Nobel prizes are a bit of an uh, uh, now I'm in search of the correct English term again, an, an anachronism. Is that something? So, so it's it's not it's it's not from this time anymore because there are no real rock stars, the single persons that deserve a Nobel Prize. It's all teamwork. Everything is teamwork. You cannot single out a person that maybe there is this one person, as Stefan said just a moment ago, who had to, who had this brilliant idea that that, that was carried forward, and, and the minions did all. But but most of the time especially in some of the natural sciences work is done by teams of, of hundreds of people sometimes. So it's, it's very, it's, it's not of this time to single out a single person or maybe two persons that deserve a Nobel prize. So there is this, 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 this realization kicking in also at that level. And we have seen this with, with the Nobel prize that Lynn Ostrom has, has gotten. It has given her center stage and a lot of bright lights are shown upon her. She is the rock star of our field. But of course, she she was at the time working with with uh, Bonnie McKay and Mac McKean and James Aikson and and Fikret Berkies, all these people that at the time in the 1980s were gearing around and working on comments related issues, uh, doing case studies here and there. So, so maybe that's a bit of the same. Is is Lynn, Lynn Ostrom now has this cult status that? Uh, that that and, and we can ask ourselves genuinely does does she deserve that yes of course she deserves that your audience will kill me if, if if they will hear me saying that she might maybe not deserve the cult status that she has but we can ask ourselves is 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 is, is she the rock star of of the commons yeah the answer is of course yes but still no i'm with you yeah i mean it's i remember after she got the prize people would kind of walk into a room and shut their brains off and just wait for her to come up with the answer which was kind of ironic given how much she railed against panaceas yeah <laughs> it is ironic yeah. i wouldn't say it's if you deserve it it's more as that does the spotlight put other people in the shadows does, yeah. does it does it put a lot of people who contributed to a lot of other work does it actually remove their recognition from them and put it on to someone else i don't think yeah that's, beautiful that's, put, Stefan. that's 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 a nicer metaphor than uh, i i was struggling with words but that's a that's a way better way to, uh, to put it 
Um, so Frank, can we get back to the, the international journal of the commons and what you've been doing there? And so you, I know you talked a little bit about this, but could you talk about how that started and, and what that experience has been like for you? Yeah. So in 2007, uh, the then, I think, president-elect of the IASC, uh, Tine de Moor, together with uh, Erling Berge from Norway, they had the idea, they started the journal. It took a lot of groundwork because, of course, we at the time, they didn't want to start just a journal, but it had to align with the with the ideas of uh, of, of of commoning and the commoner so so putting articles behind a commercial paywall was out of the question it had to be open access and now we know a thing or two more about open access we have come a long way since since 2007 everybody kind of understands that that's probably the future of scientific communication but at the time it was still difficult against the grain but they managed after many years to set up a structure that allowed for open access publishing um, and in the first issue they invited me and someone else what's her name um, Lynn Ostrom to co-edit or to guest edit uh, a special feature for which we invited a couple of uh, of, of leading names uh, having them think about the the the, the, the state of affairs in terms of common scholarship for fisheries, for forestry, so we had we had uh, people. So we put together that that special uh, issue for the first issue of uh, the International Journal of the Commons. And after having worked for so long and so hard on setting up the journal, Tina and Erling, or Tina, she uh, she she handed over the editorship uh, to me, and I continued working on it uh, for quite a while with Erling Berge. Um, and we found it very so this open access i'm 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 so, so my my hobby my side project is to be an activist in favor of open access uh, uh, scientific publishing i think it's 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 it's, it's so weird that we uh, hand over uh, the 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 work that was paid for by tax money to commercial publishers who can literally make billions <laughs> by selling licenses to all the universities in the world it's 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 it, I, I don't understand but it was difficult because we had no h index there you go the the, the intricacies the h index we didn't have an h index so i had colleagues who told me yeah it's a great initiative we have a lot of sympathy for what you're doing but we are not going to submit our best work with your journal because you don't have an h or you don't have an impact factor we are not going to get cited and uh, it, it will not look good on our resume and my supervisor is against it not only didn't we have an impact factor but people had to pay some money because rather than uh, charging uh, university libraries uh, for a license, we charge uh, published authors a, a small fee for 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 uh, for keeping ourselves adrift uh, uh, financially. So the combination of no impact factor and needing to pay for getting published in the in, in the journal was a huge disincentive for quality work to get submitted with us. So for years. We had uh, we had lousy quality uh, submissions, really lousy quality submissions, because of the horror of the H index. People just didn't want to do it, and there was no financial support structure in place from from universities to uh, to cough up the money that was required to pay our charges. So I worked very so realizing the 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 the, the incentive. So we keep talking about incentive. I, I told you by training my my brain is wired to think in terms of incentives. I could have looked at things maybe differently, but that's a concept that I feel comfortable with. So the incentives uh, were were perverse. So I I thought what what I need to do first is to get an impact factor, and. Uh, 
And, and in order to get an impact factor from the indexing services like Scopus and uh, Web of Science, you need to have good quality uh, contributions that get cited a lot. But we didn't get good quality submissions. It was a chicken and an egg situation. Nobody gave us their best work and we didn't get any citations. So we started working with uh, special issues for which we invited senior scholars who, who didn't care about AIDS indexes, who, did, who, who had the comfort of not needing to, to worry about their AIDS indexes because they were settled or they were... Uh, approaching retirement and, and stuff like that, and then finally we got we got we got good good content. We got citations. We we came on the radar of uh, of indexing services uh, that we lobbied with, uh, like like Scopus and Web of Science. And ever since we have an impact factor, although it's it's still too low in my view, and we're fluctuating and it's going downward again, which is a pity. It worries me. But since we have an impact factor, we we are getting good quality uh, submissions and we got uh, reviewers who are willing to co-op it's always difficult to find voluntary reviewers to work with us but now that we are kind of established and recognized and acknowledged it's 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 becoming a bit more easy to do that so gradually we are establishing ourselves um, we were working with uh, with utrecht university library for about 10 years or so who had an incubator model that allowed us to, uh, to, to, to develop ourselves. And since two or so years, we're standing on our own two feet. We are now working with a, with a publisher in London that is called Ubiquity Press that has also embraced the ideology, is that the word, of open access publishing. And, and, and we're feeling uh, very comfortable with them, but they have a production team behind them. Everything, the website looks uh, very slick. I think it looks beautiful. Uh, and, 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 and here we are. So that's the story of the International Journal of the Commons. We're very proud of that. I'm, I'm doing that work, of course, with uh, Sergio Villamayor and uh, with Michael, uh, Michael Schoon. Um, so how, do you feel like the journal has been able to address some of these issues? Like when you're looking at articles and they seem like they're slicing the bologna really thin. Yeah. Do you, you know, how does that work? Yeah, that is that is unfortunately uh, uh, also the case that uh, we as a journal cannot get away from. So in my uh, Oslo Memorial Lecture or the, the, the World Commons Week Lecture, it's the same thing. Uh, I, I did this, uh, this, this small exercise where I tried to derive all the, the good advice for commoners and I couldn't find a lot. There was hardly anything that I could offer to, uh, to, to somebody, a real person in a real situation with a real problem. Uh, so here, yeah. So there is this tendency, and again, a disincentive, a purse incentive for us to, to, to tweak our work towards, uh, towards uh, theory building. And theory building is often interpreted in, in, in terms of slicing thin bologna, like adding an arrow here or taking the IED framework, apply it here and see how it can be tweaked and fine-tuned or SES. And so, so we, that, that, that seems to pay off. That, that kind of work gets through our review process and gets published. And I'm, I'm, there is worth in that kind of work and we should continue doing it because incrementally we begin understanding more and more. So that's good. But we have this ballooning world of, of, of theories and concepts and, and blocks and arrows and flow charts and independent and, and, and dependent variables and nonlinear feedbacks and what have you. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And in the meantime, there is this, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining this, this poor little commoner guy or girl who is thinking, what do we need to do with that? How can we, how, we, how can we, uh, how can we move forward? 
uh, and they don't get an answer from uh, what's published in our journal. And, and maybe it should be my quest to, to, to have a keen eye for this disbalance and to, uh, to, 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 uh, to put a premium on, on work that is uh, explicitly and directly offering comfort and recommendation for that poor commoner who has no idea what we are talking about when we drop terms like polycentricity and, uh, and, and nested enterprises. So I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that framing in your talk, which I, I really, I really appreciated that. Um, it's something that I feel like I've struggled with in reading this literature. And I've been wondering if, if, if I'm just missing something, you know, am I just missing the applied, you know, how do I translate this into, um, you know, it, whether it's a policy brief or a community brief or something or even just conversations of like, here's what I can actually take away from my work and you can run with it. Yeah. You know, those those takeaways are are hard to find and hard to frame. And I don't know if that's just something about, I, I'm listening to your talk made me wonder, is that something about how the research is done? Is it something about the questions that we're asking? Are there ways that we could ask questions differently? I mean, I think you bring up that, um, you know, a transdisciplinary approach is one that can can yeah. do that. But I'm I'm wondering if you have other thoughts on actually how the research is done. I, I have another thought, and I didn't get a chance to express that in, in that talk. So maybe this is a podium that I can use to uh, to do that. So there is a lot of emphasis on and, and, and appreciation of the fact that uh, that Lynn and Vincent Ostrom called their, the place where they work, they call it the workshop. So a workshop is something where craftsmanship and craftwomanship is is celebrated and you so you so lynn would always do this where she put both of her hands like this and as if she had a a, a chunk of clay that she was then molding and she would if you're listening to this on a podcast you can't see what i'm doing but maybe mike uh, michael recognizes what i'm trying to say so so you you're you're crafting stuff but apart from so science needs crafting it needs the crafting of, uh, of of concepts and frameworks and theories it needs the crafting of instruments that can be used to collect and analyze data that that's the crafting but it also needs a lab a laboratory uh, where you figure out maybe through randomized uh, control treatment uh, things, what works and what doesn't. If you come to the conclusion by means of crafting that that boundaries of resources or, or if leadership or inclusive decision-making matters, if that is what you come, if that is your conclusion of your craftsmanship or craftwomanship, then you'll have to put that to the test in, an, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a rigid way. So maybe... So you, you you take what is crafted and put it in the lab and 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 use quasi natural or maybe even real experiments in context out of context to to test what works and what doesn't. So I'm uh, I'm I, I before a more for for adding on to the workshop an Ostrom laboratory maybe to to test and to test what works when and where is that less well i'm, I'm not very good with uh, with with political scientists but so that is something that i think is 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 yeah i'm going to say that is needed and then stefan is going to ask me is that really is what is needed i have to retrace and come back to my <laughs> which is what this podcast is all about right uh, we're all vulnerable here it's not usually my role 
but yes, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. That's what I, I have. I have not prepared this, so I'm, I'm thinking out loud. And maybe I, I if, if you challenge my uh, my thought, I, I I come to the conclusion that I'm totally off. No, not totally off. It, it does make me think about because I also see this in our in our institute, for example, and many other institutes. This is pushed towards having a policy brief. And on from one hand, you say, okay, or is that just the academic compensation for feeling bad about that we don't have an impact, so we just write more publications and call them something else, and the other idea is, I think, a little bit deeper, or at least makes me think about it, is that the the classic kind of driver of the science and the questions is, you know, I think more traditionally is from a theory perspective. We have some theoretical questions and we want to go answer them. And then to really have some sort of consensus about practical policy, we have this idea of consensus science, where no single study is the right answer, but the consensus of a field over many studies pushes forward. And then I see that these theoretically driven studies trying to move towards a policy impact approach, they're really a theoretically driven study, and they're not really basing their research in a fully grounded context and not moving towards the integration of driving the research questions from a real contextual problem, are then still yeah. trying to make policy advices now from single studies, and it's kind of going against this dichotomy, or I would say it's a dichotomy of the consensus science, if you're not moving towards a for what I would say a more transdisciplinary, contextually grounded research design, it's very difficult, or I think it's difficult to justify that one study can be giving policy advice. And we all know our studies are flawed. You know, we all know our single studies have many limitations. Yeah, so maybe the ambition shouldn't be to have a, a blanket type of policy advice that comes out of it. Uh, yeah, so, so so we're doing this from a an academic perspective. Uh, perspective but in the end wouldn't you want to help the guy or the girl who is confronting a problem and and, and should you really worry about uh, the external validity of mm. uh, to a certain extent yes but so so solving problems in context why wouldn't that be a laudable uh, uh, ambition also for 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 scientists do you really need a policy brief that 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 is well i i don't know yeah, I think it's, it, it raises a bit of an ethical question because I think we also have this very normatively positive evaluation that we're going to have a positive impact by doing that. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. So I think I think I think I wonder if we have come a very long way since uh, since, Lin, Lin, since Lynn Ostrom's uh, design principles. This is a this is a clear set of rules of thumb that I think we can all work with, make sure that you respect boundaries of both the resource and the group, uh, worry about inclusive decision-making, local conditions, context, conflict resolution, of course. If you do something, make sure that that's covered and that it's not too too expensive. And, and, and well, you know the design principles, uh, Michael, more than anyone else. He has fine-tuned and tweaked a little bit. He has come up with something uh, something uh, conclu uh, conclusive uh, there are people working on on configurations of what comes what needs to come together what also in in an attempt to to answer questions that regard what works best when but once you 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 have that uh, do you do you really need to balloon your theoretical and conceptual thinking into something grandiose the ambition is of which is to explain everything always and everywhere no, you have these thumbs of rules. Why call them theories? There are design principles, thumbs of rules. Take them with you, test them out in a context. Big Frank, do you mean rules of thumb, by the way? Hmm? Do you mean rules of thumb? Yeah, what did I say? Thumbs of rules, which now we need to define. <laughs> a fantastic phrase. I was warning you about my, uh, my no, lack of language uh, skills. So I I kind of, if not that there are sides here, but like I, I, what you're saying, Frank, 
really resonates with me. And I think I have this working hypothesis, right? That, well, so science is done by people and people have egos and identities. And I think you, you have to understand, I mean, it's a lot more glamorous to come up with a grand theory than it is to say, well, I've helped things in like these three communities. Well, when I'm on my deathbed, I think I want to be, I, I want to be told, Frank, you've helped those three com communities and, and that's great. That needs to be in my orbit. What's the, what's the word? Orbitary or obituary or bet. Yeah. That's, that's what, and, and not Frank, you added a, a, an arrow and, 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 a, and, and a block in the left-hand corner of the ID framework that we all appreciate very much. That's not something that I'd be proud of. I mean, but I, yeah, and I agree with you. And I think this is beyond academia. I mean, I have students that get stuck in, it's kind of, we fetishize scale and scaling and everything needs to be done at scale or gotten to scale. And none of us is satisfied with the artisanal small scale, unless that's a way to get to bigger scale. And so like, oh, if I can't make a difference to climate change like tomorrow, then I'm, I might as well just like order pizza and give up. So maybe we should we should let go of our ambitions to to make uh, grandiose uh, appearances and, and and changes that we think are needed and and be satisfied with with the incremental small steps and contributions mm. that we can really make. Not I mean, I think it it relates to issues of equity too. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of the work that's you know grander and larger in scale, like a new theory, et cetera, depends on a lot more work that's less visible. Right. So, I mean, how do I say this? Right. So I, I was a previous interview, we were talking to John Parker, who works at NSF. And we were talking about, right, there's a lot of like African-American women who work at the NSF who like are not getting a lot of prestige, et cetera. But like the place would grind to a halt without them. Hmm. Right. And they're ultimately supporting all of these like grand new big ideas. Yeah. And so I, I think. Partly it also relates to who's getting to do what kind of work, who's getting to try to do like the new flashy, innovative grand stuff. Yeah. And the challenge there is that ultimately that stuff is not fungible with all this other less visible stuff. It deeply depends on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what, what I can contribute to that, uh, to that statement. I, yeah, I guess it's right. So maybe there is a bit of, 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 of competition and, 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 yeah, maybe the, the most brilliant minds or probably the biggest egos, they, they, they emerge and they, they manage to get, get the minions work for them and, and, and make things happen, get grants granted and get research. I'm worried that if I just keep responding to you, we're going to head down a darker and darker hole. Yeah. I, mean, I, I have this like, I have a theory that basically like, like selection processes matter, right? For who gets in the room. And like, I think, I feel like we have this, mythology that the like the rock stars are the people that were just magically selected and it's like someone just like anointed them out of nowhere and it's like no i think like a big part of it is that you need to want the attention yeah so we, i mean we, we have known each other for quite some time michael and you you know that i'm not craving for spotlights and i'm talking myself down all of the time and uh, but we got you here yeah yeah but i <laughs> no one well yeah, my rock star qualities uh, are limited to to my actual rock star qualities. I, I I have played in a band, but academically speaking, I I have no ambition of becoming a rock star, and I have no talent of of, of becoming. So one personal question to you then, Frank. Like, how do you feel that your personality has affected your career? Like, have you sometimes felt like you would have done better or differently if you had been more? Because I feel like within academia, we have a strong culture of self-promotion. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I have I have thought about that, and I, I don't think that my my uh, my personality is is very well suited for making it big in 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 academia. Not only my personality, because I mean that's tied with my lack of talent, but but I'm not I'm not eloquent. You see me stumbling and mumbling, and and I cannot finish my sentences and my thought processes, especially in in conversation. They go from left to right. I cannot I cannot express myself confidently, eloquently in in in, in situations. I, I'm not a good presenter, um, so and I, I don't have the X factor that that everybody looks at me as soon as I open my mouth. Uh, much to the contrary, I'm the one who will never manage to order a beer at the bar because the bartender doesn't see me. That's 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 something that has worked against me. That's that's my feeling. And of course, in combination with the fact that I don't have path-breaking, grandiose ideas that uh, that I can have materializing, I, I do think that personality plays a role in 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 the chances that you have. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you, this is really a soul-searching. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring it back to um, to academia, which I don't know if that's a positive direction to go either. Save us, Courtney. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm here for saving, but I do think that at least part of what um, maybe this is kind of getting it. The question before Michael, you were asking about um, the types of work that are done and incentivized and is it ego? And I don't necessarily think it's just that, you know, it's nice to have a an individual based story, but I think you know, going across institutions, you can see too how different types of institutions are going to incentivize and value different work. And and when you have these sort of global scale um, publications that can be, you know, can have more of that star factor that can be put out into the media, can sort of promote certain institutions value that more than others that are more like I think in particular land grant land grant institutions in the U.S. where there's an extension built into it. Um, you know, where there are their connections with the community, at least I've seen being at those two different types of institutions, how different types of research is valued in them. Um, and I think maybe that's something I, I don't know if that's that's part of the incentive structure. I, of course, always come back to that as well, you know, of like what type of work is valued. And yeah. um, and I don't know if there's just ways to to acknowledge that or, or shift incentives so that you have, you know, that, that community-based work that really having an impact in one location versus that global impact factor is really valued. Yeah, that's a good point. Unfortunately, this is a, this is something that I'm unfamiliar with. We don't have, what did you call them? Land grants institute. We don't have that in the Netherlands. So, so the, 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 the community component in academic work, work in the Netherlands is zero. Now I'm exaggerating. There is some, uh, oh, there was something that I wanted to, uh, to say in response. Oh yeah. So, so we are, I mean, there are people, I'm not the only one recognizing the perverse incentive, let's stick to that term, of uh, of the age index uh, horror and, and impact factors and have you. So also people in my institute and people people on, on a broader scale are recognizing that as a problem. So there is an increasing amount of, uh, of, of emphasis on what we call, I think it's, a, it's an ugly word and it might not even be English, but we call it valorization which I, I think is uh, equal to the equivalent of, uh, of impact. So in our, uh, in our uh, evaluation talks every year, we need to, to indicate what the impact of our work has been. And, and 
So, so when when uh, when traffic police uh, is is giving the is given the incentive to, uh, to 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 do a better job by giving them a, a ticket quotum, the result is that they will just ticket more people. So now we have this; they hand out more tickets to more people, regardless of uh, of, of traffic violation. So that's that's an example of a, of a of a perverse incentive, and it kind of works like that with the current emphasis on valorization or impact in in, in our institute as well, because people see it as 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 a way for forward in their career, and they begin presenting themselves on platforms and podia uh, just for the sake of of having an an, an apparent impact. They begin to 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 mingle themselves in public debates in 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 in, in the media that are not necessarily related with the topic that they are studying, but just because they have an entrance or they they write an op-ed about something. I've I've seen, I've seen that happening. So so people are beginning to to make it appear as if their work is having a bit impact by going by the indicators that have been put in place to measure impact. Uh, yeah, so whatever topic you put on the table, I managed to give a dark <laughs> twist to it. <laughs> I mean, Frank, one quick thought. I mean, you remind me of, I forget the name of this law, but there's this idea that as soon as a, a metric actually gets implemented to evaluate performance, it stops being a good metric because people yeah. start gaming it in these exact ways. That's exactly what I was trying to, but you're, as I said, more eloquent and 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 more well versed in uh, putting the right reference to it. But that's that's what I was referring to. I think the example of the policeman, traffic police, and the tickets was was a, was a translation of that. Mm. Yeah, I had a I have a, a comment on that, and then now I'm going to ask another question about the role of reviewers at the journal. Uh, but I do think that we we because we focus so much on global issues or things which are very much distant from where we are physically located in academia, at least many of us, we, we tend to lose the focus on what practical impact, the, the fact that practical impact can just be the things which are around you. And we, I think we lose, you know, if you want to have a practical impact, you can go out and pick up some trash on your street or something. You know, it, it kind of we become a bit dissonant to the idea that the impact can just be created by doing other things around you and that we want it to be this grandiose thing. Um, yeah. which goes forward. But I did want to squeeze in another question about the International Journal of the Commons because I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. And that is what the how you view the role of reviewers in the process. And maybe to, to set up how two ways you might think about it, is the reviewer there to kind of help you jumpstart your broken car and get it moving again? Or is it there to fortify the wall that you're trying to jump over and, and try to make it higher? And I wonder how... <laughs> You know, I'm sure you've seen different approaches to reviewers over over the years at the journal. And do you have a particular way that you try to encourage reviewers or move papers through, or how do you how do you see this balance? Yeah, I I love your metaphor, Stefan. I had never thought of a reviewers' role in these terms, but it's 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 exactly that. It's striking a balance between those two uh, those two roles. On the one end, uh, we encourage our reviewers to be constructive, of course. And in the case of uh, of uh, of, uh, of scholars from uh, non-conventional uh, context, uh, scholars from Africa, Asia, Latin America, we uh, we we are especially uh, pushing our reviewers to be constructive and helpful, and to help them kickstart the car, as you as you as you put it, not in two, maybe three, or even four rounds of revisions, allowing people the kind of support that they are lacking in their own institutes or that they lack because of. The training that they have received or for other reasons so that's that's the kickstarting role 
yeah i like that i like i like i like how you put it so so i so and but on the other end there there are gatekeepers they are they are there for quality control because uh, as i the, 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 the yeah the incentives for 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 the, the journal to grow is to have good quality papers that's the beginning that's the ending of everything a good quality paper gets read has impact gets cited Papers that are getting cited are getting a, are affecting your impact factor. Impact factors is attracting more cutting edge work and so forth and so on. And that's that's how the ball gets uh, rolling. So we need we need uh, quality control. So in so in order to 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 fulfill my uh, my job of uh, of, of uh, giving a dark twist to everything that we discussed in this uh, podcast, I think that. Uh, that the, the 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 very system of working with reviewers from our community has us uh, has us uh, carries the risk of becoming very conservative because we we have people judging new work on merits that that these reviewers or or on on indicators of of quality that these reviewers are familiar with so if it's if it's if it's off the beaten track it's 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 more difficult to get uh, to get accepted by those uh, old folks that uh, that we ask to review yeah oh that that's really insightful I, sometimes i you know there's obviously i think obviously a huge range of quality of people who invest time into doing reviews and to some extent reviewing is this free service i mean we're somehow i would say mandated to do it as academics but nobody is sitting there when you're alone in your office telling you that you should spend three hours reviewing this paper and especially with the perverse incentives to try to publish yourself what you know there is basically i think no incentive to provide a review except that you might feel good about it or that you know the editors or something like that so how is it as an as an editor to try to like on one hand recruit people in to give their free time away but on the other hand, try to like poke them and say, "Hey, you can do a better job, and you can provide a better review." Yeah, it's 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 impossible to uh, to strike that balance. I would never dare to uh, to tell a reviewer to do a better job because we're all already so glad that he or she did the job to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so in times, so yeah, so, so we're not. So I was maybe cynically depicting uh, uh, people as uh, as as cost-benefit maximizers who are strategically looking for ways forward in their in terms of their career. But we're also nice people. We like to help out and we feel part of a community of scholarship. We, we I mean, the people that we know and that we ask, they they believe in, in, in common scholarship and they, they want to help out and they, they, they get this warm, fuzzy feeling when they uh, when they hand in a review uh, and, and help us to... Uh, that's 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 a more rosy picture of uh, of mankind. You didn't you didn't see that coming, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great. That's really nice. For me, it's the end of the day. My weekend is about to start. It's uh, six p.m. But you have uh, some hours ahead of you before you can call it quits, right? I hate talking to Europeans on Fridays because they're always done. 6 p.m. It's 9 a.m. here. Yeah, Courtney's got the I hate those Americans that ask me to do something on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) My head is in the thinking about the weekend already. Except if it's a podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, I do everything for podcasts. Thanks for listening to our first episode, everyone. Or maybe it's episode 55 or something else. It's been a long year. In addition to your local podcast app, You can now find us at our new website, incommonpodcast.org. 
Here you can find all of our audio content, including a series of methods webinars that will be a part of the podcast moving forward. The site also hosts our blog, which we use to post about content related to the show. Please feel free to contact us through this site with any suggestions or ideas you have. We'd love to hear from you.